Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And uh, you're so rude to me. You invite me on the show to make fun of me. <laughs> I can't do it. Fuck that. I'm Javi. What's <laughs> up, y'all? And uh, this week we are doing the 2019 Todd Phillips movie, Joker. The fucking 11 Oscar nominee, Joker. 11 Oscar nominations! Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> fucking fire. Actually, you know what would be really cool? If, like, the if, if the Oscars was hosted by, like, a strip club DJ. And they and they just did, every time they called somebody up, and they're like, And now announcing, Best Supporting Actor, Jeff Bridges! Burr, 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 burr. But then, like, all the actors would have to have, like, stripper names. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff... Lustful bridge <laughs> just fucking comes out wearing a fucking one of those butt plugs with a foxtail on oh, it. Fuck. All right, let's move on. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This is already it? a disgusting episode. <laughs> oh, it's only gonna get worse, baby. <laughs> All right, so this movie is interestingly enough. I feel like I, I feel like it's taking us forever to get to it, mostly because you know during the during the middle of this past year. The two movies that we really wanted to take care of in the fall while we were doing our Star Wars series was uh, Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, and then I didn't get my way, so then you're like, we'll wait till Oscar season. And I'm like, (laughs) what are the chances of both of these movies being nominated for an Oscar? And then it turns out they both were nominated for This movie is shocking, and I guess we'll talk about it more when we talk about the movie, but this movie has been nominated for a staggering 11 Academy Awards. Yeah, what are I mean? What are some of the stuff it's nominated for? Because I mean, yeah, it's nominated for best picture, but I'm sure it's probably nominated for something stupid like let's fucking best cinematography. Well, let's find out. Best movie that has a shot of Joaquin Phoenix's dad bod and <laughs> muffin top. I shouldn't talk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have worse. All right, let's so. see. We got all right. So this movie has been nominated for best picture. Okay. Best director mm. for Todd Phillips. Oh, oh, Bradley Cooper is one of the produ- is one of the producers on this movie. Oh, yeah, because him and his Todd, production company, him and Todd Phillips touch wee wees. Yeah, well, they each other's wee wees. Todd Phillips, funny enough, besides the fact that he's like a snobby douche now, <laughs> like really, he got famous for doing the fucking old hangover school trilogy. hangover, <laughs> uh, and now he's the Joker, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, laddie, fucking nah. <laughs> yeah, Todd Phillips is nominated for both best director and best adapted screenplay with his partner scott silver uh best actor joaquin phoenix best cinematography lawrence sure best makeup and hairstyling best costume design best film editing best original score best sound editing and best mixing okay first of all i know 11 sounds astounding but half of these are like the ones they they record the night before and True. play during like commercial breaks. Sure, fine. But outside of having a best supporting actor nomination, this movie is nominated for the big four awards: best picture, best director, best screenplay. And those are in, in the, the, these are the kinds of nominations that heavyweight films get. So I, I think one of the things that I'm probably going to argue over in this movie is. This movie has, like, tripled the amount of nominations. Actually, 
just like a hundred percent blown out the Dark Knight, which got nominated for none of the big four categories. Oh no! How <laughs> terrible! <laughs> Christopher Nolan was told to eat a fucking plate of shit. You know what the worst part about that is? Is that literally the only reason why comic book movies can even get nominated for Oscars now is because of Dark Knight and how stupid ridiculous it was that they kept it out of the Academy Awards. Wait, didn't Black Panther get nominated for something last year? Yeah, but Black Panther got nominated because we now have the precedent for it, right? Like, it, it is the first comic book film that's been nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, this is now the second. And if you want my honest opinion, I will give it to you at any point in time The Dark Knight is the best comic book film ever made. Mm-hmm. It is the best. It is, hands down, the one that was most deserving of the Best Picture Academy Award nomination. I don't know, man. Road to Perdition was pretty good. I still say Dark Knight is the one. A History of Violence with Viggo Mortensen was good. I'm talking about those were actual Oscar baits because they had, like, you know, they had people just Oscar baiting all over the place. Like, on Road to Perdition had Tom Hanks. And so that one was, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like in this past decade, uh, the the way, I guess the prestige with which we look at Academy Award movies is a lot lower than it used to be. Oh, yeah. Don't talk to me about it. You, I already, <laughs> I've already like made my feelings on Twitter known about how fucking stupid I think the Oscars are. True. Um, I do think that sometimes they get it right. There are moments where they get it right. I think the last, the, the last Academy Award, like Best Picture... That kind of, you know, that really just hit it out of the park uh, was Moonlight. I, I was about to say, Moonlight, Moonlight, they hit it right. In um, the same way, if JoJo Rabbit wins, I'll probably be... I'm honestly, like, having watched JoJo, JoJo Rabbit, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One of the criticisms about the Academy is that they love to jerk themselves off to old Hollywood. So, I, there's just no way, in my opinion, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't win Best Picture. I really hope it doesn't, because while it was a really good movie, I still don't think it's even Quentin Tarantino's best movie, so... It's gonna win. No, I'll bet. We'll put money on that right fucking now. Oh, I... Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah, fuck, yeah I bet it. you a hundred... Fuck. <laughs> you were A hundred dollars that... <laughs> that Quentin Directino doesn't win Best Picture. Uh, anyway, all right, let's get into this movie. I guess y- y'all uh, heard that it's locked up. <laughs> um, so I guess a few years ago, when the DCEU completely like shit itself, <laughs> it literally did one of those things where it vomited and shit at the same time. Yeah, it's like Batman versus Superman was like the first like awful decision that the DCEU and made. And we defended it. You and I defended it I will No, hard. I will defend the extended cut of that film. I'm not going to defend it as so far as to say it's better than the Nolan movies or that it deserves any kind of merit in terms of awards. I don't think it's like... I don't think it's that impressive. Yeah. I'm, I am talking minimal, minimal love for that movie because it just... Release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Fucking... That's, I, I still hate that. I hate that there's people that are like, oh yeah, the Snyder Cut's better. I'm like, what, the cut of the movie no one has seen and we nah. just have to believe it I've exists? moved on at this point, especially now that Matt Reeves' Batman is finally filming. And, and Robert Pattinson looks all hunky and shit. <laughs> I haven't seen... I'm really curious to see what his bat suit looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but nipples, whatever, anyway. Nipples. <laughs> I heard about this movie a few years ago where they... I guess they were so fucking done with uh, 
you know, the Suicide Squad Joker adaptation. Uh, (laughs) So were we all. (laughs) That they wanted to start over and create a Joker origin story, uh, which I was very much against. I I was still, it really, really concerned me too that this movie was originally like considered a Martin Scorsese like vehicle. And you were like, what the fuck? Yeah, where, like, I at, at one point in the early days, like, they were talking about how Scorsese was going to direct this, and uh, DiCaprio was going to be the Joker in this. Mm. Which, mm. Yeah. I'm not saying I want to see that movie. I, I'll, I'll put it to you this it way. It would have been interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to take a dump on it, because I, I still have yet to watch The Irishman, so I'm going to... Oh, I um, hope you have fucking four days set aside for that <laughs> shit. I I will consider that, you know, at any later point in my life. Like, I want to... Like, here's the thing. I've, I've, I've really bit my tongue on addressing how Martin Scorsese hates fucking superhero movies. And then, you know, because I'm like, okay, I want to see what The Irishman is and all that. And then I was just like, man... Like, you were talking about how, like, self-important these movies, like, these superhero movies are, and then it's like, you're a little tone-deaf just hearing it, seeing how self-important your movies are. (laughs) I feel like everything is self-important these days. Like, that is our style of filmmaking now. Like, we're going through the Bond series, and once we get to the Daniel Craig Bond series, like, that is where we're at. Yeah. Like, there are levels to this, and... and Everything's gonna scowl itself to death. (laughs) Yeah. And then later, I heard that you know, uh, Scorsese le- left the project and wasn't going to produce it anymore. But then his production company is still involved. Yeah. It was like a lot of weird changing of hands. And then Todd Phillips gets in now and ends up taking over. And I was like, oh, the guy from The Hangover. And I guess he did other stuff that people liked. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. Um, you're like, you're like one of those pretentious fucking D-bags <laughs> that wears like berets and fucking... <laughs> Walks around with baguettes. (laughs) You're a Frenchman? (laughs) The the problem with me is just that Todd Phillips has decided to continue and to talk. Exist. Yeah, and I feel like the more he talks about what he thinks of film and comic book films and just his opinions on Twitter, I feel like have just made me like him less and less. Mm -hmm. And I... To an extent, I don't know if it's sullied my opinion of this movie. I'll put it this way. My experience with this film, I watched it in October, the night it came out. The Thursday night that this movie came out. That's right. Um, I There was a lot of controversy leading up to this that, you know, that there were going to be mass shootings at theaters because of, you know, what happened with Dark Knight Rises. And because the content of this film was so overwhelmingly nihilistic and dark that... You know, it was going to invite mass shooters to, like, you know, shoot up movie theaters. And it's, like, it's pretty... It, it, I Everybody felt that it's not impossible, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, so when I first watched it, it was the last day of a three-day conference that I was at for work. I went to Florida for the first time. I've never been in Florida before. Um... I isn't. I'm not gonna act like I actually went outside and saw what things looked like. I was literally at a work conference. He saw alligators fucking playing <laughs> basketball with a meth out of Florida man. <laughs> Hand to God. <laughs> but 
the last day that this, I guess, so the conference ends early on the Thursday that this movie came out. And it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and my flight doesn't leave till the next day. And I'm just sitting in my hotel room going, what the fuck am I going to do until tomorrow? Unzips pants. <laughs> so I was just like, well, I was like, there's a movie theater nearby. I guess I can go ahead and watch Joker and... You know, I'll try not to get shot by Floridians. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, again, I'm from California. Gun laws are a lot stricter here than they are in other parts of the country. That doesn't mean things don't happen in California, unfortunately. A lot of stuff does. But, um, I don't know. I just had this weird thing of, like, God... I'm going to be in one of those Florida man stories if I go to this movie. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be molested by a Florida man. I fucking know it. <laughs> so I'm going to shove an alligator in my pants. Uh, this was not a big town uh, in Florida, or at least this was not a huge theater. And mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of people in there watching this film when I went in. The movie theater had like a total of maybe seven people in it. Dang. On a premiere night. Not a, not even a premiere night. It was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, it was early. Mm -hmm. And I was <laughs> just like, alright, well this is weird. <laughs> and I'm definitely not totally comfortable here. But it was an old-ish movie theater. And it was the perfect place to watch this film. And we'll get into why I think the experience overall, watching it that first time, was really good. So, my experience with this film was... Honestly, I don't even remember how I heard it was happening. I just remember someone being like, or you know, like reading one of those articles on like Facebook or whatever, being like, "Oh yeah, this this Joker movie's coming on. There's gonna be no Batman." I'm like, "Oh cool, Joker origin story." So we get to see the Killing Joke, and you know, you keep going and keep going, and then Todd Phillips says, "Oh no, this doesn't pull from any source material." And I was like, oh, that's not good. Because <laughs> movies that usually come from no source material or have no source material to back up on don't usually end well, you know? Mm -hmm. Let's look at, you know, Game of Thrones or let's look at The Walking Dead or let's look at any ongoing series that's overstated its welcome at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know what? You know, Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. Robert De Niro's still tied to it. Mark Maron is one of Angel's, like, Man Crush Mondays that he never wants to talk about. I'm like, you know, there's still, like, there's still a lot of a lot of good actors in this movie, including, um... Oh, my God, I'm gonna... I feel so bad blanking on it, but the girl that played Domino in Deadpool 2... Uh, Zazzy Beats. Thank you. Wow, nice memory. Yeah, like, Zazzy Beats is in it. I thought she was... You know, like, I thought she was great in that movie, in Deadpool 2. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. There's, you know, there there's quite a few folks, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think she's, she's in Atlanta as well, right? We have two I, actors from Atlanta in this. I've never seen Atlanta. Okay. I feel really bad. I always wanted to. I probably will. But I think on my queue, I only had enough time for one FX show. It was either Snowfall or Atlanta. And I was like, <laughs> Snowfall's pretty rad. Yeah, Zazie Beats is in Atlanta. <laughs> so I remember it was like, it was a Friday. I t either I took the day off of work. I think I took a sick day. And I was just like feeling like, ah, shit. And then my dad, he was at home. He felt kind of like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's hang out. And I'm like, <laughs> 
you know, fucking sucking the boogers back up. Like, I'm like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so I fucking popped a bunch of Dayquil, and we actually went to go watch. Um, went, we went to go watch the Joker together, and that was cool because I hadn't been in the movies with my pops in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I got to share that, and more importantly, we got to share a movie that he actually enjoyed. Because my pops has a very weird, varying taste like a barometer in movies you know like he loves super self-serious movies mm-hmm. he also loves stepbrothers <laughs> so his tastes are all over the place he also loved what was the other movie he fucking loved was it austin powers no there was some <laughs> there was some goofy movie that he okay. loves yeah. uh, maybe it was beverly hills ninja anyway <laughs> Alright. Now you know why now, I'm, now you know why I'm the way I am. So anyway, we ended up watching it. It was really cool. You know, spent a nice day hanging out with my pops and yeah, I got to reflect on the movie and being able to talk to him about just you know, because it led to a lot of conversations about mental health, um social services and just kind of a lot of stuff that's going on, you know, as far as like the homelessness epidemic and kind of like mm-hmm. what exactly is health services role in doing this, you know? So this movie to a certain extent, um, hits, it hits a chord with me because my day job is in social services. So that's why my, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I try really hard not to look at this movie through that lens. Um, no, know. I think it's good. I think it's good that you do because <clears throat> it provides a different perspective for you than it will for me. It, mm-hmm. it makes for better conversation, to be honest. No, there's going to be a lot of good conversation. Mostly about dicks. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, without further ado, you got anything else you want to say? Nope. I about how can... much you love Todd Phillips? <laughs> we could totally get right into this. Um, hop in then, bitch. What is <laughs> one of the... Uh, Things that we knew about this movie going into it is that it took place in the 80s. In the early 80s, specifically. Yes, I knew that and didn't, like, have trouble figuring that out. Uh, I also was aware that it was going to be a bit of a... That Todd Phillips was borrowing a lot of elements from the King of Comedy. Mm -hmm. Which is the Martin Scorsese film. Which, if you watch that film, yes. That movie... This movie ropes a lot of the... Things out of that film. And Taxi Driver. Yeah. Which, but if you really want to be honest about it, Dark Knight cribbed a lot of its material from Heat as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not unheard of for a comic book film to reference another genre of film to try to transcend its own genre. And let's keep in mind, we I am a DC fanboy. I slandered Avengers Infinity War a lot. Mm-hmm. I... I would actually did not slander Avengers Endgame. So if you go back, I promise you, if you go back to that episode and you hear me talk about Avengers Endgame, I do not take a steamy dump all over that film. Nah, he totally nerded out. <clears throat> he um, had a nerd boner. I will also say that I'm going to approach this with the mo- most unbiased way that I possibly could, even though a lot of what it's doing is trying to hit my sweet spot. Because I love early 80s, late 70s, grimy, dingy movies. This is pretty grimy and dingy. And it <laughs> yeah. looks pretty fucking gross. Um, I think there's also elements of Kubrick in this too. I don't know. There's parts of it that made me think of The Shining even. And um, it's... So it, it, it takes place in the 80s. I knew it was Gotham, it was New York as Gotham City. And totally not New York, guys. It totally, totally Gotham. Well, I'll put it to you this way. 
Gotham City in comics has long been presented as a version of New York, right? Yep. And in all the films, they've gone out of their way to make Gotham City its own character. <clears throat> Batman vs. Superman used the city of Detroit. Uh, the Gotham City in Dark Knight was uh, Chicago and Pittsburgh. and Dark Knight Rises, yeah. which is still weird. <clears throat> that one kind of threw me off because there is a... They're visually two different cities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chicago and like Pittsburgh is super fucking like brownstony, and then all of a sudden, well, know. they didn't just use Pittsburgh. They used Pittsburgh and they used New York also, <clears throat> like the Wall Street scene and stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but this film is the first one that straight up tells you New York is Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that aspect of it. I do like that this movie does a fair amount of world world building. In that you see garbage bags everywhere. It tells you that there's a garbage man strike that's occurring in this time in New York. And that there's a ton of rats and stuff like that. And, and you know, like, I've never lived in New York. Uh, but I'm well aware of the fact that, it's, that in the 70s, particularly, and maybe into the 80s as well, uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of New York that was I'll put it to you this way. New York was kind of thought of the way people thought of think of Detroit now, in that it was like a picture of urban decay. Or um, San Francisco now, because people yeah. just focus on homeless people and all the shit on the floor. Well San Francisco <clears throat> San Francisco is interesting because it's a city that looks very nice. It paints a really nice facade on the outside for all of these awful things that are happening on the inside which i think could be its own film if you ever wanted to make one don't come to san francisco y'all it's a lie <laughs> uh but this you know it, again it's i know these this much of it it does feel like a city where the mob has likely taken over mm-hmm. you believe that this city needs a batman so you know what this from new york I mean, Gotham, not New York. Gotham in this movie reminds me of New York in The Watchmen. Another, bringing it back to another movie we reviewed, you know? Mm-hmm. Just like, same sort of thing. Just like how there was just like a grime to the streets and how everything was gross. And like you were saying, just like, you add the, it, you know, it adds that layer of realism to it by grind by grounding it. Or The know? Exorcist too. Like, we watched that... Where, Wait, Exorcist where, or Exorcist 2? No, Exorcist 1. Okay, where cool. Just Karis, where Karis goes to visit his mother and you see all the kids like jumping on the car with the broken windows and stuff like that. Like That stuff is... is that is... I did that last week! <laughs> <laughs> Me and my, you know, friends. But anyway, we are introduced to the character of Arthur Fleck, who is a party clown, uh, or a clown for hire, uh, who is holding a sign for a store that's going out of business. And that's where we're first introduced to Joaquin Phoenix in this role. And um, his, you know, funky-ass dance moves. Um, see, in the lead-up to this movie, when I saw the stills of him in the film, I, first when I saw it, I was like, this is weird. It's very, it's, they're going all the way clown. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was interesting, I thought it was an interesting way to go because... A lot of what he looks like in his makeup is John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, very much so. It reminded me so much of fucking John Wayne Gacy. And it's funny because 
Okay, uh, go with me on this. Don't freak me out. Remember, I'm terrified of clowns. <laughs> no, go with me on this deep dive here. Okay. But, um, we've done Batman Begins, right? Yep. On this podcast, after Batman Begins came out, and before I'd even seen the first still or even knew who the actor was uh, in the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was hearing rumors about what they wanted to do with the Joker in that movie. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that this was going to be a guy with a Glasgow smile. And I hadn't heard anything about the film, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, I just, I, I saw like this concept art that looked really wild, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as to what he was going to look like. And in my mind, the way I pictured it was I pictured him as a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I All I could think about was the ending of Batman Begins where like, where, you know, there was that second island, the Narrows neighborhood, that, like, mm-hmm. never gets referenced again in any of the yeah. other, like, Dark Knight movies. Everyone forgets about it. But it's like, I, like, totally had a vision in my head that I was just like, yeah, Joker's gonna, like, become, like, the hero for all the people who, like, live there, or he's gonna be the guy who rises in that place because it's chaos everywhere, right? Like, what it's just, fuck? that is just how I thought of it, okay. and this... This movie kind of, like, brings all of that that I thought to fruition yeah. in that way. So this is, is, like, if I was picturing a dark Joker for a dark Batman film, this is exactly the way I'd picture him. It looks like Gacy, kills people, um, and starts an uprising movement without the need of that cartoonish comic book plot of, you know... We're going to gas everybody until they go crazy. <laughs> very, like you said, very interesting that when, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect them to deviate so far from his origin story. I thought Ace Chemicals would play in to a certain extent. And then, you know, he starts seeing stills and you start seeing what he looks like in the makeup. And I was like, oh, so he's just a dude in face paint. And something's always more terrifying. Well, about what that. I wasn't crazy about was, even though I thought Phoenix was a great actor, <clears throat> I was concerned that they were going to try to do too much Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be honest, <laughs> there are part, uh, there is a part of me that kind of would have liked to see what Jared Leto's Joker would do in another film. You mean do the thing where he puts the smiling <laughs> tattoo over people's fa- mouths Look, again? I'm just saying that oh, I feel like he wasn't given enough to do, so we never like saw enough of him to hate him. I saw enough of him to be like, <laughs> I... It was cool the first time he does it, when like that dude was freaking out, and he puts his hand over him, and it has the smile on his, the hand tattoo. Then he did it to himself, and I'm like, but you're already smiling. Why? <laughs> Point is, I saw enough Jared Leto to be like, uh, the experiment's over. <laughs> put him in Morbius so that he can get put in the fucking Marvel <laughs> Extended Universe already. So, Mr. Fleck is this party clown, like you were saying. Um, he's, he's like, performing with some dude on a piano? <laughs> Yeah. Like, I wasn't really sure. Basically doing, yeah. like, the sign thing where you're, like, dancing outside of a business with a sign. And it's very and... vaudeville, though. Like, his style. That, yeah. And that's what kind of intrigued me about it is that a lot of his dancing, a lot of his mannerisms in this film 
are very, very reminiscent of vaudeville and very reminiscent of like just old timey fucking performances. Right? Yeah, which it's just like this movie. It feels it, they try to go for a bit of a timeless feel with it. Yeah, because even though it way. does take place in the eighties, it's just yeah, like you can. There's very, parts of it that feel modern, and there's parts of it that feel very retro. Very. They start off with the old retro Warner Brothers logo, which is really cool. Um, they don't use a DC Comics logo in the opening for this film. Mm-mm. Which I'm not a fan of. I'm cool with it. Whatever. Well, I <laughs> immediately get salty. <laughs> well, the reason why they were doing that is they're actually trying to establish a uh, they're trying to establish a production company that's going to take care of DC. Sta- You're giving me that fucking look. Don't like care. it doesn't matter what I say. You're going to be a bitch about it. Don't care. So there's going to be a production company that's doing standalone DC movies. Don't care. Kind of like DC Black Label. Where it's like, there's going to be rated R movies. Why are you mad at me? I had no decision. Like, I had no say in these decisions. Uh, I'm not Mr. DC, okay? But anyway, he gets gets jumped by a group of youths. Oh, I fucking... I love the trope of fucking, like fucking street rats like well, it's little, funny because this is apparently a little what a lot young of delinquents this was kind of like the stereotype for new york is that they're new like york, hey is hey that, sir give me a quarter <laughs> no then i i stab you <laughs> that it's like you could not walk down a single street without getting robbed but especially by street punks yeah especially like street punks like it was very much where like i almost wish that they that, that the like people who are robbing people in the streets if they really wanted to go DC, they would make it the mutants from Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> you see, when he gets jumped by these kids, though, he's smart. Fucking covers his head, covers the groin, and then just lets him beat up his chest, you know? Yeah. Well, he gets his ass beat by these kids uh, yeah. when he gets his sign destroyed. Which, the shitty life that this guy lives. Alright, so... <laughs> you are essentially gonna spend the next two hours watching a guy... Have the worst life you could possibly imagine. Yep. Uh, it's like it never gets better for Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck immediately is is looked at as weird amongst his peers. Uh, his boss talks about how he freaks everybody out. Yeah. <laughs> um, wants him to give back the sign that was stolen when he got his ass beat and, and then smashed over him. Yeah. And like takes it out of his pay. <laughs> And you really feel for him because you're like, fuck, dude. He's really just goes through it. And then on his way home, he, uh, you know, he has this moment with the little kid sitting in front of him where the kid just stares at him. So he starts making goofy faces to try to, like, make the kid happy and make him smile, right? Mm. And the mom ends up getting angry and says, leave my son alone. Yeah. And then this causes a laughing fit. Um... And I guess that's, uh, this is an actual, like, uh, medical condition or psychological condition. Um, I forgot what it's called. Uh, like, spontaneous laughter or, or something laughter, mm-hmm. right? Where it's, where folks, you know, it, when they get triggered, they go into laughing fits. Don't necessarily find anything funny. They just, you know, do a creepy laugh. And just like he does it here, it's very straight-faced. Well, that's the thing. There are things that this does with the Joker mythology that I can get with. And this is one of them where it's like, I appreciate the difference in take. Uh, This one posits Joker's laugh 
as something that is painful to him. Mm -hmm. Like, he looks like he's in physical agony any time that he laughs. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting take on it because obviously you think of Joker as someone who takes glee in causing chaos and murdering people. And now it's like you get to see that this thing that we always took as being him being happy is just uh, is actually a source of pain for him. Uh, I'll put it this way. I've read The Killing Joke. So the way I felt about this movie going into it was... This is not going to be the definitive Joker origin story. Oh no, not at all. Uh, like, the one thing that Joker says, if you ever read The Killing Joke, the Batman comic, is where the Joker talks about how if he could have his choice of origin story, well, if he can talk about the kind of origin story he'd have, he'd, he'd make it multiple, multiple choice. Multiple choice, yeah. And that was, in the, and so that is, they play off of that in Dark Knight. The only movie that's tried to force an actual origin story on him had been Batman 89. And this film does a lot to even tell you, hey, maybe it is Joker or maybe it's not. Yeah, there's enough to always cast doubts. Yeah. Which Uh, is perfect for me. That mm -hmm. is perfect Joker stuff. Enough that it feels real, but at the same time, you're dealing with an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie's trying to force you to have sympathy for him. I have to admit, I never have that much sympathy Mm-mm. for him at all. And I think that they, like, Joaquin Phoenix played that way on purpose. He didn't want people to relate to Arthur Fleck. And I, because I think that's the big thing is that we're watching a movie where your protagonist is essentially not a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing you want is to have people relate to the bad guy, you know? So you gotta play him in a way. Where people just don't see themselves in him, you know? Well, the con- I'll put it th- the controversy in this is that there is a certain type of guy out there <laughs> that this movie will have a strong resonance with. And I think one of the criticisms that this movie got, I think, is, in my opinion, I don't think it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I think I think we do live in a society where I will say it right now. Get a load of this society. <laughs> I do think we live, you know, in times where we give great benefit of the doubt to white males who cause violence. Mm-hmm. Like any time that you see a mass shooting or murders or rape or all these things. If the person who has caused it is a white male, it is very easy for them to be posited as a victim because you will look at mental illness as the problem, you will look at drugs as a problem, you will never look at weapons and how people get their hands on them as a problem, and will never look at toxic masculinity as if it's really a problem. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that is tailored to this one kind of person. And I will say it, I have been in situations where I've known people that have committed crimes that have been punished far, to an extent that far, that is very far extreme for the crime that was committed. And that's part of the criticism that this movie got, and I am totally down with it. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why I'm not crazy about this Joker. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that this movie... Thinks it's saying a lot more about... I feel like this movie thinks it's saying more than it actually is. 
in the end, one of the problems that I have with Joker is that it seems hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but let's, <laughs> we'll get to yeah, it. Let's continue. So after Arthur gets jumped by this group of kids, well, he after ends up going back to work and. Uh, Randall, a friend of his, another clown, ends up giving him a gun mm-hmm. and tells him for its own protection. Um, and he ends up reluctantly taking it, right? So, on his way back, we get to see his commute home. And yeah, really, like you were saying, like this is where you really get a lot of face time with the Gotham they're trying to build. Very dingy, dark, you know, everything looks so dated. Like it was one, it's one of those old apartment buildings. Where the mailboxes are in like a weird cage. It felt like projects. Yeah. And I think it was so. I think it's a conscious choice that Joker lives in a predominantly black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like that is very much where, you know, where he lives. He's got black social workers that he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um black orderlies at the at the Arkham Hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it's just he obviously like lives in he lives in undesirable dis- place. I was gonna say like he lives in a disenfranchised community part of town, yeah. and historically, who's been disenfranchised none more than you know African Americans. Yeah, so uh, you definitely you definitely feel that like people in this community are just kind of on their own. Yeah, and um, and you know having known people that grew up in San Francisco projects like this is. What city projects are like, mm-hmm. you know, hallways full of piss with broken elevators. Um, it's just I've heard awful stories from people who have grown up in in specifically city projects, mm-hmm. and uh, it is it is shocking, I guess, you know, to see to see the conditions that he's living under. Yeah. Arthur lives with his mother. His mother is clearly not well. Mm-hmm. And he seems like the only real escape that he has from his miserable, miserable life is watching the Murray Franklin late night talk show, mm-hmm. which is hosted by Robert De Niro, which I will say... Technically Murray Franklin, but... Yes. Played by Robert De Niro. I think Robert De Niro, if this movie did deserve Oscars, Robert De Niro is one of the people who deserves an Oscar for, Best supporting, for a supporting actor. actor. Absolutely. He did really, yeah, he did a really good job. Even though, like, the, you know, he just... That's just Robert De Niro, though. He just fucking can take command sure. of scenes, dude. But, you know, but this is the... I feel like, in my opinion, this is some of the better work that I've seen him do in years. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro has kind of reached a point in his career where he... Uh, where he can do whatever he wants. And he, he can does do whatever schlock he feels like. Yeah, doing. and I feel like he he often f- falls back to doing stuff that he did in the eighties and nineties. Cough, cough. The Irishman. <laughs> exactly, and I feel like he's not as good as he used to be. Well, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna see it. Yes. When you watch The Irishman, there's a part where they try to get this 60, 70 year old De Niro. To lay a beat down while digitally like fixing his face to look young. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And then I'm they aware do the super do. weird CGI where suddenly it's not De Niro and it gives you such weird uncanny valley vibes. Oh, Point is, they should stop trying to put De Niro. He's he shouldn't be a mob like goon. He should be the boss now. <laughs> but yeah, this is a total reference to King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. In King of Comedy, like he is the guy. It, it, it's King of Comedy essentially ends with De Niro. In the, like, he's obsessed with the late night talk show host, 
and he becomes the late night talk show host at the end. Mm-hmm. He is obviously like it feels like this is very much a continuation of that in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it, I again I appreciated him in this role. I really did like the fact that you know we're gonna go back to him over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and during this time, we also meet Sophie Dumond. Who is, wait, what's Zazie Beats character? Thank you, yeah. Zazie Beats character. Single she's, mom. Yeah, she's his neighbor. She goes in the elevator with him. And she's polite to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and <sighs> this is why your women are, shouldn't be nice to guys. <laughs> well, Arthur obviously is someone who doesn't. He's social. He's got social issues, right? Mm-hmm. He's not. Oh, very much so. Yeah, there's some social cognitive stuff going on there. Yeah, he's not able to relate very well to people around him, and they make eye contact, and he's like, "We're dating." Yes, <laughs> um, and you know, you know what? Like, you want to believe there's nobody like that. I've been going through my Twitter full of. You know, our five listeners and a bunch of the e-girls I follow. <laughs> and there's been a lot of people posting about that. About guys, like, DMing these girls. Being, like... They they had, like, maybe one interaction where they respond to the, these dudes' comments. And these dudes will, like, instantly DM them. And be like, so do you want to go on a date now? And, she, and like, a lot of them are these women just being like, I was just being nice. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's be honest. Like, this is, you know, it's the thing that we talked about... When we did 500 Days of Summer, right? Yeah. Like, guys are very... It's very easy for men to to get bad signals. You know, the intent from someone else that comes to you is never exactly well, the way Well, let's be careful how we say get bad signals. I think we interpret signals That's what badly. I mean. That is what I mean, yeah. I absolutely mean that the interpretation of signals that come from the opposite sex mm-hmm. are something that... We don't understand, and I think the problem... And I think with Arthur, for, for like, taking the example of Arthur, not only is he somebody that is so alienated, disenfranchised, just kind of apart from society, he already can't understand social cues, and now yeah. you add everything else that's gone into right. making... He doesn't Arthur just do it with women, he does it with, with everybody. everybody. And that's what kind of makes him scary... I don't know if scary is the right term because I also don't want to demonize people with mental health That issues. is one of the reasons why I, I'm i not going to be that crazy about this film. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it deserves any praise that it's really going to get. I think that the the way that it presents um, mental, health. mental health is reductive and ridiculous. I mean, we've seen some pretty reductive movies <laughs> since we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're approaching like... Yeah, we are approaching some weird territory with how <laughs> with how this movie tries to treat mental illness. So, he ends up... By he, I mean Arthur. Arthur ends up, in his mind anyway, he ends up hitting it off with Sophie. And she actually comes back to visit him. I forgot for what reason, but he takes his time to invite her. In, yeah. Invite her over to, um, to his comedy show that he's going to be doing a... Uh... Well, okay, so... Before we get into any of this relationship with her, one of the things that happens very early on in this film is after Arthur goes to his next clowning gig, which is at a children's hospital, while he's dancing, a gun pops out of his coat, which was the gun that he got Well, from. that happens right after he invites her. It does? Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. 
<laughs> I, no, I, I totally, I totally got the order of this out then. Yeah, but no, you're right though. So that's the next thing is that. So the next day or a couple days later, that's the other thing is there's no distinct timeline for how long this movie takes place, right? But he ends up going to this gig at a children's hospital where he's singing and dancing. And then for some reason, he's carrying the gun that uh, the other guy gave him, Randall gave him. And while he's dancing, the gun goes flying out and no one looks at it until he freaks out and jumps on it yeah. and then tries to hide it and keep dancing. Yeah. And immediately he gets fired from his clowning gig, which his boss already wanted to fire him because he just thought he was fucking weird. Yeah. Um, after he, he is fired from this job, that is kind of where he decides that he wants to focus more on his comedy, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, he's got a notebook where he like puts jokes, where he's supposed to put jokes in, but I feel like he spends more time like just using it as a diary, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, where he's like slowly like uh, recording his descent into madness i guess you know and there's and weird stuff in there like there's pornographic like pictures that he puts in there too that like make no sense it why looks there. like the fucking scrambling writing of the fucking night stalker <laughs> like it looks it definitely looks like the fucking thinkings of somebody that's almost like struggling with dissociation mm -hmm. and is like in and out of dissociating between what is real and what is uh, and what's going on as a fantasy what's going on in their mind right and we get that awesome line where he makes a joke called, or the the joke that's like, the funny thing about having mental illness is people expect you to act like you don't have it. Yeah. And I remember being like, damn, dude. Sure. <laughs> like, again, that is, uh, that is, you know, now this coming from my social services background is someone that does work with a lot of people with mental health issues. A lot of people that do struggle with mental mental illness. We have a very, we have a view of mental health in this country where very much it's like, why can't you be normal? Mm -hmm. We have this obsession on what norm, like normality is, what normalcy is. Um, and for some reason, we always hold it against people when they don't fit that mold, right? Yes. And the problem is that the system, and very much as we see it happen here in The Joker... The system doesn't really do these people favors, you know, like we, we, um, you know, we shut down programs that would otherwise be, you know, helpful for these people. Um, you know, there's insurance rates that change so that people can't get the meds they need. Sometimes there's just so many barriers. Some, just traveling to go see your fucking therapist can be a barrier in and of itself. And the entire time as we see somebody struggling with mental health... We make things harder for people and then we ask them, why are you why having are, such a yeah. hard time? Why are you the Which way you I are? do think that the thing that this movie absolutely nails, and maybe the best part of it, is it nails the issues that we have in this country with healthcare. And it nails the issues that we're having in terms of the widening wage gap that exists in this country as well. Mm -hmm. That is where this movie feels absolutely modern and of its moment. And if you're going to nominate it for the Academy Award for Best Picture, it's because of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, you're like, it, it, it's not without its merit, but it's also, we shouldn't be sucking this movie's dick. <laughs> right. That is, that, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, it, it, this is weird because this is one of the first movies where at the end I'm going to ask myself, do I like this movie? I'm going to be like, eh, maybe. You know? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it goes either way depending on, you know, what I see in it and what I 
think at the moment that I'm watching it. But uh, I was going to go into the subway scene. Yeah, that's yeah. where I was going. So we get the scene in the subway where mm-hmm. he is. This you know this is after he's been fired, so he's still wearing his clown outfit. And there's three Wall Street guys who are there. Three know. chads, if yeah. you will. <laughs> who are like Meanwhile, her. you have the virgin joker with his <laughs> slunged shoulders and his downtrodden gaze. <laughs> well, these three guys are sexually harassing a woman on the subway. He just wanted to give her french fries, remember? He was like, oh, fresh yeah, it was really disgusting. These people are disgusting. Yeah. Um, Joker comes off as heroic when he's just kind of distracting them from Did he, her. though? <sighs> he was also kind of bitched out. And yeah. then the only reason they got distracted was because he started laughing. laughing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's like, again, again, this movie does not... It. I'm sure it's not trying to make him sympathetic, or at least if it's trying, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does just enough to draw the attention away, uh, from which allows this woman to escape, and then that's where these guys get really angry, and they're all obviously drunk and angry, and just <laughs> drunk uh, and horny, <laughs> drunk, horny, and angry, with great mix, <laughs> and they start singing "Sending the Clowns." And uh, once they do that, they take the wig off of him and they start beating his ass on the floor in the subway. Been there. Um, Taking my wig off, not (laughs) getting my ass beat. (laughs) Not getting my ass beat with clown makeup on. (laughs) I've never done that before. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, he he gets beat up and gets thrown to the floor. And this is shocking to me. I was not expecting that this movie was going to take this turn this quickly. But Joker grabs a gun and he shoots... The Wall Street guys. I asked him nicely with my gun. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when I first saw this film, when I like saw this scene, I thought there was a good chance that we were like gonna see that it was like Tarantino, like something that we'd see like him completely murdering someone, and then we'd flash cut and nothing would have happened. And it's just like mm. him like thinking in his mind. Yeah, like that is I don't know why that is just all I could think of is like, huh, is this really happening, mm-hmm. or is this you know like. Because I was like, it's early in the movie. What else is going to happen here? Mm -hmm. And uh, no, he actually kills them. And then he escapes the subway. This is the 80s, so we don't have like a million different facial recognition cameras that are catching you. Mm -hmm. Um, He runs out of the subway. He goes into this public bathroom in the middle of nowhere. Where he, once he has done this deed... He shuts the door and he starts like dancing. Hey. <laughs> That's what I do after my murders. I mean, <laughs> um, the music is good. The scene is interesting. There's a lot of weird dancing that he does in this movie. Well, what I found out was that he lost like 40 pounds for this movie. Oh, yeah. There's... And part of it was to make himself look like emaciated and weird and creepy, yes. right? But he, what Joaquin Phoenix was talking about. Is that in losing the weight, it allowed him to move in ways he hadn't moved in years. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to have fun with dancing. He's like, I was going to make Joker dance a lot. And, you know, apparently he watched a bunch of old fucking disco videos and drew a lot of parallels and, uh, you know, learned to dance from that, you know. So that's why, like the when he does the boogie down on the way down the stairs, you know, that iconic scene, which we'll, I can't wait to talk about later. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like... It definitely seems like the dancing that someone who wants to appear to look like everyone else would do. Yeah. 
It's like yeah, I've never done. Any where of you're this. like perform, you're performing it essentially. Yeah, making sure it's right for when you get in front of actual people. Right, exactly. Yeah. That is exactly it. The same thing with this comedy, right? Like it, it's like you, it's you projecting what you think other people want to hear or see mm-hmm. from you. Um, and then so. this become ends up becoming a story, right? Mm-hmm. And this murder so. has caused such a uprising. Uh, because we're like, you know, I actually thought that this was going to be something where, you know, he, p- the police were going to be looking for him right away and that was going to be it. it was, I thought this was more of a serial killer story. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that what he has done, because he chose to kill these Wall Street types, it essentially becomes a political statement. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in the city who are having, you know, who are having anxiety about the economic, like, situations that everyone is in... This, they look at this as the lightning rod for everyone to kind of start a movement. Eat the rich. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Thomas Wayne and all those Wall Street fat cats. Thomas Wayne. I, again, He's a, such a turd in this an, movie. An, yeah, again, another thing that I really like about this movie is, again, we are watching a movie from the Joker's point of view. Mm-hmm. Of course, Thomas Wayne is the villain in this yep. movie. And also, Thomas Wayne is very Trump in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see that. Like yeah. he, To the point where he calls be- all the protesters clowns. Yes. Because of uh, just like one that they're just can't, protesting. Can't you right? just picture a ton of just like Republican senators just like kind of saying stuff like this? Yes. Like, yes, they, I can. <laughs> they like refer to people as clowns for protesting anything. You know, like that is what this is. And it's like, he's trying to drum up sympathy for the Wall Street guys because they worked for Wayne Enterprises. Yeah. Um, Which, what the fuck does Wayne Enterprises actually do? I've watched at least nine different Batman movies, and I am still not 100% sure what that company does. I'm pretty sure it's like military weapons. I'm pretty sure they're like just Tesla. They do everything. <laughs> Here is your Wayne blender right next to your Wayne grenade launcher. <laughs> oh, man. So, Thomas Wayne yeah, refers to these folks as clowns. Um, Arthur ends up going... Well, he well here's also the interesting thing, right? He goes, um, he go before he I think it's before he kills the the people, right? He goes and he does his stand up, and then him and Sophie have an, a, a, a nice I night have, out. Right? I could have sworn that he goes to that he goes to Sophie and kisses her after he comes back. He did, but so leading up to this, mm-hmm. him, uh, him and Sophie. Uh, they go out, you know, she sees him do a stand-up, and then he goes, and, and you know, as they're walking, right. they see... One of those fortune teller machines. Yeah, right? one of those fortune teller machines, and then like, you're right, so he kills these dudes, goes, kisses her, and then while they're out on a date, um, you know, she sees the, the news report, and she's like, oh yeah, you know people are really mad that he killed these guys and then she she says something to the effect that like she likes it and that yeah. she gives her approval right yeah and that's when things start kind of like not adding up to me right i think it totally adds up to me i think if you absolutely if you're someone who like is of color and lives in a poor part of town to see the uprising amongst the rich 
absolutely I would be like I, I, I that that is to me that seems accurate that seems like an accurate response like to have that not that you would say God I'd kill everyone but like the fact that <laughs> but the but the fact that there's yeah like, you gotta dial that shit back before no, we but fucking the, but get the, responsible for killing rich people or some shit no it's just like it's just it really is a fact that you know like when something happens and you are dealing with really just the economic anxiety that a lot of people now are dealing with like it, it really does become like a, yeah those people are my people because they're doing that like those are the kind of people that i'm down with because they are angry about the same stuff that i'm angry about no but I'm, i don't mean in that sense like yeah i agree i don't i'm not debating whether fucking sophie agrees with or not what i am debating is just that things are going too good for arthur that's true. And the they, fact this is the first time I watched it. This is when I was like, something ain't. It's not, there's there's, there's going to be another shoe that Their drops. entire relationship rings false to me because I just. There's nothing about that character that makes me believe that she would be with this guy. And there's nothing. Like, and that's the thing. But like, actually, it just feels to me, to be quite honest, what it felt like to me is the Seth Rogen thing, which is like where it's just like a thing that movies do. Where they cast unattractive somebody. Yeah, where the unattractive slob is with the beautiful, you know, co-star actress in these films. Hey Hollywood, man, com- comedies are doing it all the time. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't have any shots. So. No, but you know, like what I'm trying to say is that at that point is when I realized, like, she, all she was doing was just kind of telling him what he wanted to hear mm-hmm. and that's kind of when i started being like oh yeah something is kind of off here mm-hmm. and then we find out that arthur he goes to a social worker and he and he tells her about all these you know dark thoughts he's having and how he's struggling with dissociation and she drops the bomb on him saying they cut funding you know they i'm we're not going to see each other there's not going to be any more help for you mm-hmm and pretty much he he's SOL, you know? He can't get his meds anymore. He can't come to his social worker. There's just no help for him. And the thing with the social worker, like, I remember when I watched the, the movie with my dad, my, my, my dad was like, oh, yeah, the social worker didn't help him. And I was like, you know what? It's not necessarily that somebody didn't want to help him. It's just the way the system's built. And being mm-hmm. on the other side... I work with social workers, really good fucking social workers that are fucking great at their jobs that are just like, there's only so much we can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it's one of those things where I really felt for her. I really felt that, like, that's the vibe I got from her was that she felt bad that she couldn't help this dude. Mm-hmm. She also felt bad that she, it feels like she wasn't making any headway with him to begin with. But it's like now, now it feels like Arthur's on his own. And without his medication, you're expecting everything to start spiraling, right? But no, this is where things kind of start going up for him. Yeah. <laughs> because he has this relationship with Sophie. Yeah, that's where that's the one part where where it's I don't know, like I never the funny thing is, again, because of what I just talked about, like I never thought the relationship between him and so- Sophie wasn't real until they showed it to me. And I was mm-hmm. like, well that makes sense. But in this time that you're watching this, it's like, I go with it because I'm like, you know, again, it's the movie conceit. Yeah. The ugly guy is with the beautiful woman. Like, that Mm -hmm. is just it. I did find it odd that every single time that they were together, her daughter was not around. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like that, it just seemed like such a, it seemed like it was just way too weird. Like, like she's obviously a person who's alone raising her daughter in the city. It's so like, where's her daughter her. all the time? Yeah. yeah, so that, that is weird. Um, but I do. I thought it was weird that she knew his name without asking him. I figured you would know because, you know, they were neighbors. Nah, I hate my neighbors. I, I, I don't know, know any of my neighbors' names. I know some of my neighbors' names. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> but I also like live in a condominium complex, so our doors are all like right by each other. Yeah, you guys bump asses anytime you guys step out at the same time. <laughs> so after his stand-up routine, uh, Murray, well, no, his mom gets sick, right? So his mom ends up getting sick, and she gets taken to the hospital. And while at the hospital, uh, Arthur gets questioned by the police for um, any information he might have on the subway murders. Mm -hmm. And when he goes upstairs to spend time with his mom, he sees Murray Franklin. He sees Murray Franklin. Uh, he sees the Murray Franklin show, and he actually plays the clip while of uh, of Arthur at this comedy show and just bombing. Mm -hmm. But and uh, Murray Franklin. Tells these jokes about it. And it makes him popular. Pretty much makes him go viral, right? Or the 80s equivalent of going viral. And it's really interesting because... Arthur, like, projects this idea of... Of fatherhood. Like, he's a kid looking yeah. for a dad. <laughs> yeah, like, he pictures himself on the Murray Franklin show. Murray singles him out. Tells him, like, you know, like, asks him all these things about what he's doing with his life. And everyone in the crowd and Murray himself, like, are all enamored. Smitten, with the, yeah. Yeah, they're all enamored with the story of the lovable loser, mm -hmm. you know. And it's just like, yeah, th that is definitely him living in a fantasy world. And that is, like, the moment where I'm just like, yeah, this is this is where, like, I, I could buy what's happening or I could not. It's where you can see he starts disassociating, right? Yeah. And I think that's the big thing of this movie is you try to find Funny those enough, areas for those times. I'll, I'll out myself out a little bit here, but um, you know, I I live with ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't take medication for it. I have I, I function I function really well in that I have ways that I do things that are slightly different than others, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of how I get my work done at work. In terms of how I just do normal things around the house. You know, mm -hmm. it's a thing that I live with day to day to day. Mm -hmm. I definitely had points in my life where I become, where I had become dissociative. And mm -hmm. like think about things and you kind of live in a fantasy world. And you kind of picture what things would be like. You know, mm -hmm. it, it could be either romantically with someone. Or if you had that one job that you always wanted. Or if you had that one situation that you were in that they that you're in love with. Everyone does that. Mm -hmm. The problem is when it becomes all of what you're doing. You know, it, it's just... When you, it takes over. You really do feel like you're the victim and nothing that you do to anyone else is wrong because what is really wrong is what everyone else has done to you. When you're so into your fantasy that you can't possibly see uh, outside of it. Well, also, you, you you also reach a point sometimes where you try to force sympathy from other people. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, God, I'm having such a rough time right now. Why isn't anybody sympathizing with the fact that I'm having such a rough time? Pay attention to me! <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what it is. Like, he wants attention. 
And he wants it from anybody that can fit that father role. And yep. it just lends itself perfectly because he wants to be a comedian. And Franklin Murray is a comedian, yeah. you know? And then we have the scene where he com- where where he uh, goes to Wayne Manor and want and because he believes Penny, his mother, had a had an affair with Thomas Wayne, and that's where Arthur and he Arthur is supposedly quote unquote born from that from that relationship. Yes, right? this movie posits that Bruce Wayne and Arthur Fleck are brothers mm-hmm. in this moment, which the moment where <laughs> the moment where Arthur goes to Wayne Manor. This is an absolute The Shining moment. This to scares me. the shit it out of me. It is The Shining. It is absolutely The Shining because not only does the Bruce Wayne actor, he has like the bowl cut the same way that Danny Torrance does mm-hmm. in The Shining. It's a scene where the the sound is kind of muted. The music is like that really slow droning violin, mm-hmm. and you are slowly watching the character of Bruce, just like Danny Torrance, approach a person who is gonna put him in real danger. Such a stupid kid! <laughs> I was like, Bruce Wayne was the wrong Wayne died by the end of this movie because <laughs> I was like, Bruce Wayne, you're so fucking stupid. <laughs> I knew Bruce Wayne was in this film and that he was gonna be young. And, and all that kind of stuff and I'd seen this in the trailer you know so I knew that this scene was coming but I thought this was an excellent scene it's very uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because once he like they, they they cast Alfred the most different I've ever felt an Alfred be cast before he looks like <laughs> a cockney fucking soccer hooligan <laughs> which I keep going back to <laughs> He was like, oh, hey, governor, what are you doing here? That's not exactly what he's he like, said. He's like, oh, why don't you get out of here, you freak, before I tater you, Bobby. He actually didn't say any of he's this. like, oh, if you don't stop, I'll give you a good thrashing. He's actually not doing any of this. But he is telling Joker to get the fuck off the property, basically. Get the fuck off my property. <laughs> uh, Joker tries to do, like, these, like, clown tricks with, like, the wand. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Where I was... just think anyone that does magic is creepy. Yeah, no, it's definitely unfortunate for for the magic community. <laughs> yeah, those bunch of fucking stupid weirdos. <laughs> because yeah, it's nothing is more uncomfortable than clowns and magic. And now, if you combine them both, that's the fucking I'm you, terrifying. Yeah, if you're a man doing clown and magic, like <laughs> clowning and okay, magic. If you're a man doing magic, <laughs> you fucked up somewhere. I'm talking to you, Chris Angel. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely an uncomfortable scene. Um, this is where Alfred confronts him and tells him that what he's saying is not true. Which you know, this Alfred seems so. I don't know. Again, you get the impression that he feels eviler than an Alfred that you've seen before. But again, if we're watching it from Arthur Fleck's point of view, That's it makes perfect sense. Yeah. He should be a dick. Yeah. You, you, you could, based on what he's saying, you could infer from it that either Arthur's mom and Thomas Wayne did not have an affair. Arthur's or, mom <laughs> got it going. <laughs> or, um, what's it called? Alfred is kind of lying to him or just mm-hmm. alfred is just saying well no one's gonna believe you if you say it right you stupid idiot yeah like that's what that scene feels like but again it's probably one of the better scenes in the film and it's definitely unsettling uncomfortable and shocking 
So Arthur gets shocked by his whole confrontation with, uh, I was about to say Arthur, <laughs> with Alfred, and he ends up uh, going to a public event at Wayne, I don't know, some theater. Yeah, no, it's a theater. To... It's not owned by Thomas Wayne. I'm assuming Thomas Wayne owns everything. It's a Thomas Wayne campaign event, essentially. It was Wayne Tower. Because he's running for mayor in this film. Not president? No, no, unfortunately. Make Gotham great again. Make Gotham Mag. great again. <laughs> Magga. <laughs> Magga. So, uh, he ends up, uh, go, he sneaks in and dresses up as a weird fucking bellhop. Yes. And he goes into this, it's, I don't know, it's like an old-timey film. It's not even a silent film. But it's a bring, Charlie Chaplin film. It goes back, it brings back the whole, you know, vaudeville thing. Yeah. Um, and so he goes into this, uh... He goes into this Charlie Chaplin film, and what we get to see is we actually get to see Arthur do his his laugh, but not feel weird, because he's among other people doing it, Well, right? funny enough, there's a scene where he's in the comedy club, and he's laughing, but if you pay attention to that scene where he's listening to the other comedian talk, if you pay attention to that scene... He's not laughing when other people are laughing. No, he laughs at random ass intervals. Yeah, which yeah. is exactly it's like that's what I mean. It's like a lot of what he does in terms of like how he interacts with people socially is more performative, and it's mm. how how he thinks normal people should act. So he kind of feels at home. He notices when Thomas Wayne moves away to go to the bathroom, and he follows him in and confronts him. Mm -hmm. And he has this conversation with him where he asks him about uh, his relationship with Penny. And he calls him dad. And they have this amazing exchange where Thomas Wayne wants nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Arthur, and, you know, he's, and he has that thing where he says, you know, um, you know, don't you, what do you want? Do you want money? Do you want something like that? And he goes, no, I don't want your money. He goes, I just want some acknowledgement. I want you to be nice. Why do you have to be like everyone else out there? Mm -hmm. And that's when it like the other to me that other shoe drops to what you said where this guy is so in his own head he believes he's the hero in his own story and from that point on nothing he does in my book can really redeem him you know from then on right mm -hmm. so he after the confrontation with uh, with Thomas Thomas or you know while they're confronting each other Thomas tells him that um, he's actually adopted. Well, and, and, he does it, and he does it in the most dickish way possible. Yeah, he does it in the most rude and dismissive way possible. Much like when he's calling the protesters clowns. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's again, it's the way that he speaks to to Arthur that has him feeling hurt and dejected. Yeah. So he ends up uh, punching him in the face, tells mm -hmm. him he's adopted, and tells him his mom's yes. crazy. Thomas Wayne punches Arthur Fleck in the mouth, in the mm -hmm. nose. But he does also know that he's the guy who went to his house to see his son. Mm -hmm. So it does make sense that he would sock him in the mouth. Yeah. As, again. A, as a father myself, I can can confirm sock to the mouth is appropriate. Angel's just like, I'm socking everyone in the mouth. <laughs> so after that, Arthur goes to Arkham and he uses, you know, he goes, he... He talks to an orderly there who is able to pull up Penny's um, files from back when she was originally committed. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what is it supposed to be, like 30 years before? And the orderly confirms everything Thomas said. Yes. That Arthur was an adopted kid 
that his mother also suffered from mental health issues and or mental illness, I mean. And she also was dissociative. And she allowed for Arthur to be abused and beaten and almost killed by her partner. Yes. Which and, we should mention that the that the guy in this film is our beloved police officer. The same guy who was our beloved police officer in Child's Play, Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta. That's right. The second Atlanta actor in this film. That's he is awesome. the orderly, yeah. So after that, um, after coming to that real, realization, what he ends up doing is uh, he steals the file from the orderly and takes off running. And this is kind of where he he... This is the last bit of sympathy I think I've felt for him. Mm-hmm. Um, because to hear the story of everything he went through, like I'm not gonna lie, I got choked up when I was watching that. When he when he's sitting in, when he's in the on the in the stairwell, like and he has this breakdown. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't help but feel for him at that point. For sure. He he's you're you're He's coming to the realization that he's had long that he long suppressed the abuse that he experienced as a child. And again, coming from the social services services point, the reason why it really hits me hard is it's like at any point the system could have stepped in to help him, mm-hmm. and they just didn't. He was just one of those kids that fell through the cracks. Yeah, and you can't help but think like, would or you know, can you avoid Arthur Fleck becoming Arthur Fleck? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up going to his mother's hospital, confronts her about it and says, tells her, I always thought my life was a tragedy, but I just realized it's a fucking comedy and ends up pulling her, uh, pulling her, um, pillow off and uses it to suffocate her Mm -hmm. and essentially ending his suffering. Honestly, I wish I, you know, I wish I could say, oh yeah, he did it to... Put her out of her misery, but no, it's definitely the point where Arthur's kind of turned the corner, <laughs> and he's he's embracing becoming the villain, right? Right. So he ends up breaking into. He ends up breaking into Sophie's apartment. Right, and this is funny enough. So even though I didn't, I when we were watching the scenes of them earlier, I didn't suspect that it was him imagining their relationship. I did find it weird that this was the first time that we kind of were referencing his her daughter again mm-hmm. for the first time since they had initially met in the elevator. But it makes and, perfect fucking sense. Yeah, and right? then that's the thing. It's like that's when I, like I was like, oh my god, I was like, she's gonna come out of the hallway and she's gonna, not gonna know who he is. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and that is very uncomfortable. Like to know that you know that you ended up in someone else's apartment, and it's. Let's put it to you this way. Like, there's a lot of situations where people do have Alzheimer's. People have a myriad of different mental illness issues. And someone could wander into the wrong house or apartment by accident. Like, that is very possible that is that occurs. But what makes it so terrifying is when she says, you know, my daughter's here. Please don't hurt us. Yes. He turns around and mimics the same gunshot action she did. Yeah. In the beginning of the film when her kid was annoying her. And, killing joke reference, I've had a very bad day. I've had a very bad day. And Which, I'm just like, fuck. Yeah, like that's the one thing where it's like, to the point where I'd probably ask you the question right here. Does he kill her or does he let her live? Uh, I would assume he, well, I mean, I only assume because it kind of came out later. There was supposed to be a scene that shows 
her watching the Murray Franklin show later. Yeah. That proves that her and her daughter were okay. Okay. But yeah, I definitely don't think he kills her. I wouldn't think so because of the fact that he had so much affection towards her to even fantasize about her the way yes. he did. But, um, shit, dude. It, it was terrifying. Right. So, during, you know, we get that awesome scene where he's mid-breakdown. He's listening to his, he's listening to, to his voicemails. And he, you know, he, he knocks everything out of the fridge. Yeah, he jumps in the fridge. Jumps in the fridge and closes it. Apparently, completely unscripted. Unplanned. Joaquin Phoenix was just in the moment and did that. And I was like, dude, that is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but the, at this point is when Arthur's luck starts turning around. He gets a call from the Franklin Mur- or Murray Franklin show. And there's a talent scout that says Murray Franklin wants him on the show. Um, and they want him, they, they book him for two weeks. Yeah. So at this point, um, he wants to become, you know, he's trying to flesh out his character as the Joker, right? Right. Um, well, what he does is there's a scene of him where he's essentially practicing to be on the Murray Franklin show where he's watching old tapes of the show and he's pretending to be other guests, pretending to be guests on the show, smiling to the audience, making a joke and laughing, like just essentially performing someone being on the show. Which, I mean, I've pretended when I fucking go in for job interviews, how I'm going to go in, how I'm going to introduce myself, what I want to say, you know? So it's like, okay, that's not too far out of the out of the realm. Of no, craziness. the shocking part is that he's murdered his mother and has just disappeared. I mean, like those co- there's cops that had been following him, yeah, but even they had kind of dropped out of the story at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, while he's doing this performance, he basically hints that while he's on the Murray Franklin show, after he kind of does his thing and does his interview with Murray, that he's going to pull out a gun and shoot himself in Mm -hmm. front of everyone. And uh, once he does that, that's where you get the music. And, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the music in this film. The music was fantastic. But the music is really good. It deserves to be nominated for the Oscar. I also... The song choice that that Todd Phillips used for, like, the actual stock music in this film... It's Scorsese. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely Scorsese, and I cannot give him a ton of credit for it because it absolutely is something that you would have heard in Goodfellas or like Mean Streets or something. Like it's just it's music from a Scorsese film. Very much so. I totally agree. Um, so as he's getting ready for as he's getting ready for this big show at the uh, on the for the Mur- or his performance at the Murray Franklin show. He puts on his clown makeup. Um, he it dyes, dyes his, his hair, hair green. green. Yeah. And then he's doing the dance around his house. Mm-hmm. And this feels like it's the beginning of a transformation for him. Mm-hmm. Liter- quite literally. Uh, interestingly enough, he gets a, you know, a knock on the door as he's halfway done with his makeup. Meaning he just put the pale white makeup on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, you know... Randall and Gary come in. Yeah. So and of course Gary is a little person. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, Randall makes jokes about at his expense early in the film. Yeah. And uh, you know, they both show up, I guess, because they had heard that his mother had passed away. <laughs> so they come in with a bottle and like, this they scene, want to take care of him. This scene is hands down the most frightening scene in this movie. Agreed. From the very beginning, um you it it does so much. Uh, because the, the two, you know, once Gary and, uh, what's the other guy's name? Randall. Gary and Randall come in, 
the first thing that they say is, uh, are you getting ready for the rally? Because there is going to be a rally where people are going to be dressed in clown masks, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is their form of protest against uh, Thomas Wayne. Um, if he says no, and they mm -hmm. ask if he had another clown gig and just like all kinds of stuff, and it's no. So this guy is literally just wearing white clown makeup just for to wear any it. reason. Yeah. Which is, it, again, you see the uncomfortable looks on their faces the moment they find that out. And because he's so thin, he stands in these weird, unnatural positions where his back looks all <laughs> twisted and mm -hmm. his arms are up. He looks really fucking just unnatural. Yes. And it makes you feel very uncomfortable. And, you know, they uh, they ask him, they're like, oh, they're like, oh, so, what, you know, how you been? They're like, my mom died. I'm just celebrating. And you mm -hmm. can immediately, they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Yes. And then Randall being as self-serving, like, as he was in the beginning of the film, is like, hey, you know, those cops are coming around. They're asking questions. You know, I just want to know what you told them so I can tell them the same thing. He goes, oh, no, yeah, thanks for your concern. And then he fucking reaches into his fucking pocket pulls out like this six inch fucking shears and just starts stabbing the fuck out of him in the neck and then just like pulls the fucking scissors out and stabs him in the eye and i was like holy fucking it is shit. very violent it is highly shocking it is three times worse than the pencil trick from dark knight holy um fuck the other it, thing that the really, entire time gary's scre screaming right, bloody murder he's screaming and he's crying it is it is absolutely shocking mm -hmm. um next thing you know you know arthur has like blood all over his white makeup um he's kind of as gary is freaked out he laughs you know, and that's in, you know, then he tells him, you know, that's fine. You can go. And you've always been nice to me. Yeah. You've always been nice to me. But, you know, as Gary is leaving, he <laughs> Such a freaks him out. He's like, ah, he yeah. jumps at him to scare him. And then, uh, and then the other thing is just like when Gary's going up to the door, he had put the little slider like lock that, mm -hmm. you know, obviously Gary cannot reach because he's, you know, he's too short. vertically challenged. It. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's, it's one of the things that is just, it is such a masterclass in dark humor. It is. Like, it is very depressing and dark while simultaneously being actually funny. I felt so bad because I was the only one laughing. I was the only person laughing in the movie theater during that part. And I, I, if you guys, I mean, I'm pretty sure I talked about how much I love dark humor on this show. And this movie has a shit ton of dark humor. And I was like, I was here for it. It's fucking great. But then it, there hit a certain point where I'm like, oh. I'd shit myself if someone laughed in the movie theater during this. Especially I started doing the, the creepy laugh I tend to do. Remember the crazy laugh you say your sister hates where I'm like, <laughs> and then she was like yeah it was just yeah I'll, i won't do that laugh again apparently it scares people <laughs> but yeah um yeah i scared people that day <laughs> congratulations i didn't mean to I just... <laughs> well anyway after this after gary leaves he puts on the full makeup and that's where he's like dancing on the stairs right? yeah the book it down baby yeah so as he's dancing down the stairs you have this out-of-focus shot of two men staring at him, and as it comes into focus, you realize it pans to them, and it's the, the detectives that have been hunting him all movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they ask him to stop so they can talk to him. Arthur immediately takes off running, 
and then they give chase. So they chase him through this busy street. Arthur gets hit by a taxi cab, keeps running. They find their way onto a train. And this, this, up until this point, this movie hadn't been supernatural. It had nothing about creepiness. It didn't have... It didn't have that thing where, like, there's this DC thing. It's like an unwritten, quote-unquote, power the Joker has. Where it's like he can control madness or he can incite madness in others. This is, okay, this this, is the part of the movie where he feels like he has absolutely morphed into Joker. And he had, and it feels like... It feels like Dark Knight. It, it It is all the guys who are about to rob the bank with the masks, except obviously everyone is on their way to a protest. Yeah. And because Joker is now wearing the clown makeup and everyone else around him... He looks like he fits in with all these people. He fits in with everyone else around. And I'll put it to you this way. The makeup that Joaquin Phoenix puts on makes him look healthier. Mm-hmm. Like it really, it it really is showing you that him as a real person, he looks emaciated, he looks wrinkled, he looks exhausted and tired all the time, and sick. And then by the time he puts on this like white makeup, he looks healthier. He looks fuller with the suit on because it's not, it doesn't look as big as the other clothes that he's wearing. The way he stands, yeah, he just, like, like it's it just fixes his he's posture. got more confidence yeah. and. Yeah, this is absolutely where I feel like, yeah, we are watching a super villain now, as opposed to the rest of the film where we were watching a pathetic guy and possibly serial killer. And what I love about this scene on the on the uh on the subway is that he fucking manipulates the crowd into starting a riot. Yeah. Where he steals the dude's mask, yep. ends up telling you know, he gets shoved into another guy. He tells that guy, hey, punch that guy. He starts a fight. Yeah, this is something you could picture Heath Ledger's Joker yes! in a crowd of people. And I fucking thought it was fantastic. And then when the cops get involved, one of them ends up, like, trying to gain control of the crowd. Ends up killing a dude. He ends yeah. up shooting him. And then the which, crowd turns on the cops, which right. is exactly what Joker wanted from the beginning. Like, he manipulates madness. And it's fucking awesome. He caused chaos, which is Joker. Mm-hmm. That is quintessential Joker. That is where, like, if I had any doubts about the fact that this was a movie that was connected to DC lore, it, it is here now. Yeah. So he ends up going, uh, he ends up, like, sneaking away and he uh, makes it to the uh, Murray Franklin show. Which feels like, it really does feel like it's something pulled out of Dark Knight Returns. Where and, Joker is in the late night talk show, mm-hmm. much like in that film as well. And as he gets there, uh, Mark, you know, Mark Merrill, your boy, and uh, I forgot what his character's name is, but him and Murray, like, they come and they talk to him. They're like, okay, so you're going to come on, here are the rules, no swearing, it's a family show, yada, yada, yada. Joker agrees to it all. He asks them, can you bring me out as the Joker? That's what you call me in the video. Yeah. And he says, yeah, sure, whatever, get whatever the fuck you want, kid. So, as they get ready, um, you know, they, they, he gives them the intro, and then he goes, well, you know, we welcome Joker. You know, big band plays, Joker comes out dancing, and he comes out, like you were saying, just confident, and he's like a completely different person. And then when he comes in, you know, people start, you know, like, like people are expecting him to be funny, right? Mm-hmm. So, right off the bat, he starts telling these off brand like dark jokes and you know he goes into his old joke book and does the knock knock joke of uh you know knock knock who's there it's the police your son was killed by a drunk driver Mm -hmm. okay not funny not funny i'm not Mm -hmm. laughing 
But, you know, it catches everyone off guard. And it really reminds me of when Grant Morrison wrote the Joker or when Alan Moore wrote the Joker because that's what the Joker would do. He wouldn't, he would tell these really shitty, dark, edgy jokes, you know? Mm. And they, and, you know, Franklin or Murray Franklin is like, hey, you know, like we don't tell that kind of humor here. And he's like, you know, oh, I apologize, you know, and then they go on this, and, and he ends up owning, he admits to the fact that he killed those three Wall Street guys on the on the train, and, you know, at this point, Frank, uh, Murray Franklin goes from being a talk show host to almost being, like, an investigative reporter, right? Yeah. <laughs> it turns into, like, I was trying to, trying to find, it, it's like when Geraldo Rivera would do those, like, interviews with serial killers and shit and yeah when like, he had his talk show when he had his like, talk show right it felt like trashy daytime television and that's what it turned into like it turned into like murray trying to like do that right if to me he gave off this vibe of being like okay like let, let me confront this guy you know maybe this will take my career somewhere right and he, they end up getting this discussion about society and how they live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> how many times are we going to say that phrase? Oh my fucking... It's the memes that have ruined yeah. that phrase for me, dude. Yeah. So they, they, they talk about, you know, all the societal problems that they got to deal with. And, and you know, like... Arthur, our, well, Joker brings up the fact that, you know, people... If Thomas Wayne, you know, he lives in a bubble. And, you know, they, he wouldn't give a shit about... Arthur or Joker if he was dying on the streets the same way nobody else does, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our Murray tries to hold I think him. it's good that it starts with a joke, right? Like, I yeah. mean, obviously Murray is, like, poking fun at him the entire time that he's there. Yeah. Uh, he brings him on as a complete joke and he's, where he's planning on he's, just yeah, he's roasting just gonna him roast the entire him. time that he's there. And Joker starts off with, you know, he pulls out his notebook of jokes and that's where, like, you know, he goes, knock, knock, to Murray. And that's where Murray goes, you need to write that down. And, like, he gets really smart. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Like, he gets, <laughs> he gets, like, really smart with him. And he starts off with a joke. And all of his jokes are really dark. And it's just, like, I don't know. They, once he kind of gets into the whole Thomas Wayne thing, I feel like that's the moment where Joker, like, asserts himself. That is the moment he presents himself and asserts himself as the head of this movement. But that's the thing. He even mentions it's not about the movement. No. No, no, no. He does it, again, he is the guy who set all of these pieces in motion. And it's like, that. that is a, absolutely, I feel like, this is a Heath Ledger moment. You know where he talks about how madness is like gravity. All it takes is a little push, right? Like, mm-hmm. that is all he needed to do. He just needed to do the slightest thing, make someone else think that that's what we're doing this for and, and it's like go do it chaos. yeah go do it yeah it's 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 literally changing oh no it's the killing joke it's yeah. anyone will break after one bad day right but then after you do that once you like break a single person you send them free into the world to like cause problems for everyone else and then well that's the thing i guess what he's trying to point out is how easy once you break one person how easy it's a ripple of everyone yeah Yeah. that's the point is like that is exactly what he's trying to do and finally this confrontation between the two culminates in uh in uh in joker telling murray um 
Let's see if I remember the line. What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that treats him like trash, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what he said. I tell you what you get, you get what you fucking deserve. And, again, I knew he wasn't going to shoot himself. I knew he was going to shoot Murray because it's just, you know, he kills kills the talk show host in Dark Knight Returns. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was interesting that in the theater... Both times that I watched this movie in theaters, because I watched it twice. Once while I was at this conference in Florida, and the second time I watched it with my wife, because she hadn't seen it. And uh, both times, when he shoots Murray, there were audible gasps in the theater. People did not expect it. (laughs) And then, like, it was just, but, like, a, it was, it was, it was a shock, but it also, like, disgusted people. Like, I said, oh, like, that was the kind of gas that I heard in the theater. It's like, what'd you expect? (laughs) Yeah. And the way he he delivers that line with tears in his eyes, I was just like, Yeah, it's intense. If Joaquin Phoenix wins the Academy Award for Best Oscar, it is for the scene that he has with Murray Franklin at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Which is why I said I think that Robert De Niro maybe deserves a Best Supporting Actor nomination just for the way that he plays off of the scene with him. Mostly because, hey, this is the best work that I'd seen Robert De Niro do in a film in years. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. Both men did great fucking performances here. And, um... It feels, despite the fact that this movie, what what sets it apart from a lot of other comic book films, that it's not going to end with a big, crazy action sequence. It's not a big hero fight. This movie successfully completes the idea of being a character study, in that it gives you a, a climax that is intimate, that is, uh... It's all about mono, like it is all dialogue. It is. Yeah. It it exactly is that, and it's very Tarantino esque in that it's minimal violence, completely dialogue driven scene of just these two people with opposing point of views, and how at a certain point you're they're never gonna understand each other. And you know the film or not the film, sorry, but the scene ends. Uh, camera cuts out, has a please stand by notice over yeah. it. And then you start seeing like all these other feeds where, you know, this is obviously made national news now that yeah. you like murdered him on television. And Gotham is burning. Yes. People are rioting in the streets, breaking The protests have become shit. a riot now. I'm and, all for riots, baby. <laughs> and also I thought the, the choice of using White Room as cool. like the music that plays while he's in the police car was... Very appropriate mm-hmm. uh, for the moment. It again, it is something that feels absolutely Scorsese to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the scene of watching Joaquin Phoenix inside the police car uh, as Gotham is burning is Dark Knight. It is yeah. an awesome Dark Knight reference where Heath Ledger sticking his head out the window yes. as they're driving. Yeah. yeah, and then so we uh, they make it to an intersection. They get crashed into by with a. Uh, by an ambulance, one of the ambulance drivers gets out, revealing he's wearing a clown mask. It and is aw- well, the awesome part about this scene that I did not see coming, that I think is excellent, is that they this movie chooses this moment 
to tell the Batman origin story. Mm -hmm. In that while this riot is going on, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne and Bruce are all running out of the movie theater where they were watching Zorro. <laughs> the gay sword of Zorro or some <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, it's it, it they're they're running out of the theater and as they're going into the alley to kind of get away from where a lot of the big I'll commotion is happening. Yeah. That is where they get followed by one guy in a clown mask, and one of these clown mask guys ends up shooting the Wayne family. Which obviously you believe is Joe Chill, because that is the comic book adaptation. Like, that's what it is. But, I feel like at the same time, it really is Joker that killed Batman's parents. He like, says the same thing, which yes. is, you, you get, get what, what you, you fucking deserve. deserve. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's, it's an indirect way to make Joker responsible for Batman's origin. Um... I don't think well, I don't think this movie ever needs a sequel, and I oh, think it no. works I very really well as a one-off. That said, there is a part of me that wishes I could see what a Batman and Joker in this world would look like. So, you know, uh, you know, right before the closing of the film, Joker stands up. He get he gets taken out by these uh, these guys in clown masks of the co of the squad car. Mm -hmm. He stands on top of the squad car. Dances in front of this crowd of rioters and then takes the blood from his nose and paints a smile mm -hmm. and dances and poses in front of all these people. Film cuts to Joker in a white room um, singing with uh, a therapist there. Mm -hmm. And she asks him and he starts laughing. She asks him what's so funny. And then he says, oh, you probably wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, I forgot what, what's the song that plays, like the main theme of the movie. But Joker, mind you, this is really important to note. Joker no longer has the face paint. He no longer has the green hair that he painted. Mm -hmm. And he no longer, he doesn't have any scars that would have been on his face from the, uh, from the car accident. So, you know, he, you know, and it cuts to him, you know, walking on down this hallway and what looks like what you can only assume is Arkham Asylum. Mm -hmm. And as he walks, he leaves these bloody footprints under him. And then as he turns a corner just out of sight, you see him double back and run yeah, across a, the hallway. It's a very cartoon ending. They're yeah. Playing, that's life. Then and, that, that, that's all, folks. Yeah, and then they do a the end crawl yeah. like at the end of the film. Again, it, it feels like it morphed into some it feels like it is the twisted Joker. Like it feels like Batman the animated series Joker in some ways. And so the reason why and this is what I wanted to ask you when we were finishing watching the film. Like, this is where it gets weird for me, and it ties into the whole unreliable narrator. Because what I think happened is everything after Murray, after Franklin Murray, I mean, Murray Franklin's murder was all in his head. Possible. And I really have that feeling, and I have a feeling that everything that went on was when, you know, I feel he got arrested, got taken to Arkham, and he... Did, like, I honestly feel this isn't the Joker. It could be, It yeah. feels super weird that it's a movie called The Joker. 
Mm-hmm. But I have, I think it, they, I don't know, it could, and I think that's what works great about this film, and because it plays on that whole fact of the unreliable narrator, and just dealing with the character study on such an unreliable character, any theory you come up with could be right. Yeah, yeah. And the, like, to me... The, the joke could be that he's not actually the Joker. Yeah, and this could be the guy that 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 thinks... That he's the Joker. This is the guy that inspires the Joker. This is the guy because you know he. It feels very Gotham. Like very the Gotham so. television series essentially did that. They weren't allowed to use the Joker as a character on that show, mm-hmm. so they found creative ways to get around it by creating characters that were supposed to be their Joker in their universe, mm-hmm. but they never referred to them as Joker. Mm-hmm. And they, the producers were always nebulous about it, saying that he could be the Joker in this universe, or maybe he's the guy who inspires him. Mm. And that's exactly what this film posits as well. Yeah, it could be the Joker. It doesn't have to be. Ultimately, I mean, it's up to you guys as the viewer to kind of figure it out, right? Whatever you... And that's the beauty of it, is you can... You you choose. You choose your own adventure. <laughs> uh, do you like Joker? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm not enthusiastic. Like, I do like it. I think it's a. I think it's a well done film. I think there was a lot of fucking fantastic. Like we were talking about, the setting is fantastic. The costume design is fantastic. I can see why that would get an Oscar nod. Um, definitely feels like an authentic time. It takes place. It feels like it's 1981 New York. Um, Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro, like you mentioned, were fucking amazing in this film. Uh, is it a little pretentious? Yeah. Does it paint a picture of, of a kind of a negative picture of mental health and mental illness? Yeah, it does. Uh, definitely not a perfect movie in any way. I think it's really, what I do like about this movie and what it does show is what you can do if you're willing to be a storyteller, um, what you can do with these IPs, with these intellectual properties, right? (laughs) You don't have to just tell you Boy don't, power fantasies yes. and superheroes. You don't just have to do... The, the comic book movies should not just be restricted to these crazy summer box office films that include a shit ton of CGI you know, and fighting giant monsters and destroying entire cities. It give is, me a detective movie starring Batman. I hear, know, like, look, I hear that that is what Matt Reeves is trying to do yeah. with the Batman. So I'm curious to see it. And that apparently Gotham City, and this is going to be dated by the time we, this, you know, by like years, a year later when this movie does come out, if it does on time, um, they're using Germany as uh, the stand-in for Gotham City. Interesting. The film, they're, they're supposed to film in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, again, this this it stretches the idea for what the genre can do. My opinion on this movie is that even though it has some awesome moments, Joaquin Phoenix is an excellent performance. Robert De Niro gives an excellent performance. There's a lot of things about this movie I like. Ultimately, I think it's way too derivative of better things. King of Comedy is better. Uh, Scorsese is a better director than Todd Phillips. Oh man, you're saying something so (laughs) crazy. This movie, while it is good and deserving of some of the awards it's going to be nominated for, I think it's ultimately too derivative of other things that were better for me to really say that I like it. Mm -hmm. 
So that is my opinion on it. Which is funny because you bought it just so we can watch it. Well, I bought it because I buy every single thing in the Batman canon. Yeah. I have Justice League and I have Batman v Superman. Yeah. And Batman and Robin. So so don't... No, are, no regrets. <laughs> there are no depths to which I will not sink. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know what? Let us know what you guys think. Hit us up on the socials. And, yeah, you know, like, thanks. Yep. Thanks for listening. And come, back, come back to the show next week because we are going to be uh, go, continuing our James Bond series with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The one and only James Bond <laughs> film for uh, actor George Lassie. I was watching The Simpsons, and they were, it was the Smart House episode, and they're like, oh, I can make my voice, Jane, or I can make a... Uh, I can make our house voice everyone's oh, yeah. favorite James Bond. They're like, George Lazenby? And they're like, no. And then Marge got so sad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait. So, yep, Her Majesty's Secret Service, y'all. All right, so we'll talk to you guys next time. All right, bye, turds.